Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Lottie's Book Club. Now, a lot of this episode is going to be me hopping onto my soapbox because today we're talking about Akatar again. I'm so sorry, but we're going to be covering the Archeron sisters because I really wanted to talk about some of their character development because they go through some pretty extreme character development. This is going to be more about Elaine and Nesta rather than Feyre because, I mean, if I'm being honest, we hear about Feyre all the time. She's our main character. She has four other books. Nesta has one and Elaine has none yet, but I guess we'll see in the future. Now, in order to dive into a little bit more of Elaine and Nesta, we have to start from the very beginning. So let's take a look into the Archeron family's past. Now, growing up, Nesta was the oldest of three sisters, followed by Elaine and lastly, Feyre. Their father was regarded as the, quote, Prince of Merchants. They were rather well off growing up to their father's booming merchant business. Despite being successful, their father had inherited previous debts from his ancestors before him. Because of this, Papa Archeron was struggling to find ways to pay off these debts while also maintaining his wealth. He did, however, come up with a solution. In order to pay off these debts, he sent the remainders of his fortune on ship to Barat. Not bothering to take the long and safe way, he, of course, naturally, went for the dangerous shortcut. This ended in a shipwreck where all of the Archeron fortune was lost. After this incident where his debts still live on, it was time for the creditors to come collect. When he was unable to provide, he was attacked. They broke his knee, leaving him unable to walk for six months. Once six months were over, his torment did not end, as he spent his days depressed and only bothering to sell little wood carvings, leaving the family without a stable source of income, thus leading to financial trouble for the sisters. This wasn't the beginning of the Archeron family struggles, though. When Favor was only eight years old, just a little bit while before the loss of the Archeron fortune, their mother fell ill with typhus, eventually passing away after her struggle with the disease. I must say, it's a little bit confusing why she got typhus, because at this point, they weren't poor, and typhus, I think, is mainly regarded as, like, a poor person's disease, but at the time, their father was still, you know, super rich, but... That's that's my wondering. The sister's relationship with their mother was very different from child to child. In fact, their mother's dying wish was for Feyre. She asked Feyre, the youngest of the Archeron sisters at only eight years old, to take care of the family. This placed an immense burden onto Feyre, and after the events with their father's debts, Feyre found herself being the one to go out and provide, becoming the quite literal breadwinner. She was also unable to read and write, as their mother stopped teaching them how after she showed Elaine. Reading, in fact, is one of Nesta's favorite pastimes. Feyre, however, never learned to read until Rasan showed her how when she'd arrived at the night court. Nesta, on the other hand, didn't do much at all to provide. I'd go as far to say that she perhaps didn't even know how to. Growing up as the oldest, she was always favored by their mother. As good as this may sound, it was less of a loving relationship and more of her grooming Nesta into becoming a certain type of woman. She told Nesta, quote, My Nesta, 
Elaine shall wed for love and beauty, but you, my cunning little queen, you shall wed for conquest. Nesta was the one she hoped would, you know, marry and find power and conquest for the Archeron family, placing them higher up within the social tiers. She was raised to be cold, cunning, and calculated. Because of this, Nesta never properly displayed her emotions and feelings with her fathers and her sisters after her mother's passing. While Feyre became the caregiver for most of the family in their mother's absence and their father's negligence, Nesta took up the role of caring for Elaine. Elaine's place within the Archeron family is very odd. Although she's the middle child, she takes up the role of the youngest, always taken care of and babied by the other two sisters. Nesta, I would say, baby Elaine's much more than Feyre ever has. Feyre's quite guilty of this behavior as well, but Nesta takes it to the extreme. She's always shielding Elaine from the outside world, not really wanting her to date and being very careful about who she associated herself with. With Elaine found herself a man to whom she would wed in the first book, Nesta had some very strong feelings about him. After learning more about Grayson, though, I can say I disagree with her. All my homies hate Grayson. Elaine spent a lot of her time gardening, although I would argue that if my girl would have spent more time harvesting fruits and vegetables rather than, you know, pretty little flowers, they probably wouldn't be, you know, starving. Feyre and Nesta would often argue throughout the books about Elaine, notably because once they were all living within the night court, Elaine decided to make herself a place within the inner circle. Oh, I lost my place. Give me one second. <laughs> Elaine moved on and joined Feyre's found family rather than siding with Nesta, who was only isolating herself. Elaine was making her own decisions about who she surrounds herself with, what to do about the whole Lucian situation, healing from her past with Grayson, and everything that happened when they became Faye. She didn't need Nesta anymore, and having been stripped away from her role, Nesta found herself useless. Going back to book one, when Feyre was whisked away to the spring court, Tamlin laid a glamour upon the Archeron family and provided them with fortunes to last a lifetime. That was what he promised Feyre. She was afraid that without her, the family would struggle. Tamlin made it his place to make sure that they don't. The story was that the sunken ships were found with the Archeron fortune, thus placing them back into a high place within the financial and social hierarchy. This is how Elaine was able to find rich Grayson to wed, and the family moved out of their small wooden cottage into a nice, booming estate. The glamour put under the family also covered up what happened and changed their memories. The rest of the Archeron family believed that Feyre went off to help out their sick aunt. Everyone believed this, except for Nesta. Nesta was unable to be glamoured. Only two to three days had passed before Nesta traveled through the woods, hoping and praying to get Feyre back. However, she was unable to get past the wall. This came as a shock to Feyre. Despite Nesta being her sister, she was always cold and unloving towards Feyre, quite the opposite of how she was towards Elaine. Throughout the first book, whenever Feyre was having self-doubts or any negative thoughts or feelings towards herself, she remarks on how they were all always said in Nesta's voice. This is shown a lot when Feyre is in the study of the spring court trying to teach herself how to read and write so she could be able to send a letter back to her family's home in the human lands prior to her knowing how well off they actually were. Feyre and Nesta share some loving moments when she returns to the human lands for the first time since leaving in the first book. 
I think it's because Nesta was the one person who truly understood and remembered what had happened to Feyre. She was able to speak of her time in the spring court and her love for Tamlin, allowing her to be vulnerable with Nesta when she previously never could. In fact, Nesta's the one who pushed Feyre to return to Prithian and save her love, essentially pushing Feyre to save the rest of Prithian as well. The next time readers see Nesta again, and Elaine, is in the second book, A Court of Mist and Fury, when Feyre visits her family's estate alongside some members of the inner circle. Feyre returns to their home as a fairy, which greatly displeases Nesta. Despite sending Feyre back to Prithian in the first place, to save her fey male lover, the displeasantry towards the fey kind hasn't stopped within the household. When looking back on the years of torment their kind inflicted onto the humans and their constant fear that the humans still live in, I can't really say that I blame her. However, Feyre's still her sister and, you know, has never really deliberately done anything to harm Nesta. I believe some of Nesta's standoffishness was also due to Elaine's fiancé, Grayson. You see, Grayson comes from a very wealthy mortal family who's adamantly opposed to the fairy kind. Their manor is guarded with large, towering walls, and they have guards in case they ever find themselves on the receiving end of a fey attack. From what readers have seen regarding the fey and their powers, I'd say that those guarded walls aren't really going to do much to stop an attack, but I would chalk Nesta's attitude partially up to her defensiveness of Aline. If Grayson were to find these fey creatures at the Archeron estate, despite one of them being their sister Feyre, he'd be far from happy about it, presumably dumping Elaine and smearing the Archeron name. On top of all of that, Grayson's father actively hunts fey who find themselves south of the wall. Feyre's return to the estate alongside Reese, Cassian, and Azriel was to ask for their sister's help in contacting the six mortal queens. In A Court of Mist and Fury, Favor begins residing in the Night Court after her downfall with Tamlin, both romancing up the High Lord, but also aiding with planning and, you know, trying to prevent an upcoming war against Highburn. Despite the treaty being made many a years past, Highburn still wishes to break down the wall and take human slaves, some not even wishing for the mortals to remain alive at all. Rassand, High Lord of the Night Court, has been keeping many eyes on Highburn and its leaders, sensing that this upcoming conflict is becoming less avoidable with each passing day. Their reasoning for wanting to speak to the mortal queens is to try and convince them to hand over their half of the Book of Breathings, which can nullify the power of the cauldron if Highburn is ever to use it to attack and break the wall. Nesta originally is opposed to helping the Night Court, mainly because associating themselves with High Fae would be social suicide, but eventually, Elaine is the one who convinces Nesta to help out. The queens and the night court have two meetings within the Archeron estate, but not before knowing the details about the rooms and their sizes, placement, furniture, all those kinds of stuff. However, they never successfully convinced the queens to hand over their half of the book. At one point, two of the queens meet again with Rassand, who shows them the true secret night court, the city of Valaris. Rassan puts up his front of being this evil High Lord, fitting to what everyone believes the Night Court to be. However, this is not the case. By putting up this front, Rassan is making it so that nobody finds out about the hidden city of Valaris, which is sealed away and hidden from every single person who lives on the outside, including both Fae and mortals. By showing the mortal queens Valaris, he's hoping to fully convince them to help him by showing his hand. After their meeting, the Golden Queen, Demetra, 
leaves half of the book at her chair for Rasan to find after they leave, going against her other five sisters in this act of rebellion. The mortal queens eventually find out about this, killing Demetra and siding with the king of Highburn, who makes them a promise of immortality. Due to this, the mortal queens share the existence of Valaris with the king of Highburn, who sends an army led by a creature called the Adder to launch an attack on the city. The next we see of the sisters are when they're kidnapped by Ianthi, a high priestess who worked closely alongside Tamlin in the spring court in the beginning of the book. Ianthi and Tamlin grew up together, so there was the strong sense of trust, to which Feyre did not have with the Ianthi. If anything, it was the complete opposite. She never really trusted Ianthi and was always able to sense that something was wrong. As it turns out, she was right. When Ianthi was becoming somewhat closer to Feyre during the wedding planning at the beginning of the book, Feyre was quite vulnerable with her and shared about her sisters. When Cassian, Asriel, Rhysand, and Feyre found themselves in front of the King of Highburn, they were surely in for a shock. The King of Highburn was testing the ability of the cauldron to turn humans into Fey. And guess who he used to test it? Elaine and Nesta, who were kidnapped by Ianthi from the mortal realm. This totally blindsides Feyre. In fact, she initially believed that this was Tamlin's doing, but both Tamlin and Lucian's surprise, it was the priestess. Tamlin was there at Highburn as well because he offered his help in the war for Feyre's return to him. Kidnapping the sisters wasn't really part of the plan. Elaine was first. Elaine's dropping in the cauldron sent Nesta over the edge. She was throwing herself all around and screaming and trying anything to stop Elaine's fate. Little did she expect, it worked. Elaine came out as a high fae. In fact, she came out with a mate as well, Lucian. Nesta's next, but as you can probably guess, she wasn't going down without a fight. She's brought over to the cauldron, trying to claw herself out of the fae's grips, flicking the king of the finger before being submerged. Nesta comes out as a high fae as well. However, she's changed in more ways than one. Nesta took something from the cauldron. It's after this moment, for more reasons than one, where Nesta really starts to change. After this incident, Feyre's taken back to the spring court after she pretended that the mating bond between her and Rassand was broken with a plan to tear down the spring court and all of their trust in Tamlin from inside the house. Nesta and Elaine are taken back to Valaris with the three Illyrians to adjust to their new lives, unable to return to the mortal realm as Fey. Now, we move on to the third book in the series, A Court of Wings and Ruin. Aside from A Court of Silver Flames, this has to be my favorite book in the series. The first reader see of the sisters in this book is when Feyre returns to the Night Court after successfully bringing down the Spring Court against Tamlin. The first thing that is noted about Nesta is that she's devastatingly beautiful as a high fae. At first, Nesta's very spiteful towards Feyre. She blames Feyre a bit for what happened with the cauldron, no matter how wrong it seems. I'm not sure it's entirely an outward blaming as much as it is internal, though. And as always, Nesta is overwhelmingly worried about Elaine. Elaine has not been doing well at all. Firstly, there's the entire situation with Lucian. If you don't already know, Elaine and Lucian are mates. Mates in Akatar are essentially how we would view soulmates but in a much more literal sense. It is this literal soul connection between two fae who are viewed to be equal. 
Feyre and Rassand are mates, as well as Elaine and Lucian and Cassian and Nesta, who I will talk more about later because they're my favorites. I mean, Cassian was my favorite male and Nesta has, is, she's just my favorite character like ever. So their pairing made me very happy. Anyways, Elaine has been, oh, she's, she's just, she's a mess. She's been having a hard time coping with the fact that she's mated, mainly because if you forgot, she's an engaged woman to a man who hates the Fae. How do you think he'd feel if Elaine returned to him as a high Fae? He'd probably kill her. Anyways, this has been eating up Elaine. I will say, as soon as she came out of the cauldron, Lucian was like, my mate. However, I think it was less of an outward, oh my God, you're my mate, and more of like a shocked under his breath thing, but that's not something that's really clarified in the writing. So a lot of people are like, why did Lucian do that? Elaine's been isolating herself in her new night court room, as well as rejecting Nesta's acquaintance and efforts to comfort her, which she never usually does. Elaine is also starving. As I said, not doing good at all. So this is very well another reason why Nesta is upset with Feyre. I don't think it's right to be taking it out on Feyre in this angry manner, but I do understand why she's doing it. Nesta was offered training many times by Cassian throughout this book, but she denies, really only accepting help and growing closer with to Amran of all people. Eventually, Nesta and Feyre bond a little bit over their growing concerns about Elaine and her well-being. You know, trauma bonding a little bit. Although Cassian and Nesta's relationship remains not rocky, Nesta is noticeably concerned when he returns from the attack at the summer court significantly later than the rest of the inner circle. Morrigan seems a bit possessive over Cassian because of this, not because of any romantic feelings she may have for him because more, you know, is into women, but because Cassian is like a brother to her and she's notably not a fan of Nesta. Rassan makes Nesta the emissary to the human lands, which was Feyre's job before she was crowned high lady. Nesta also decides to help out at the conference at the Dawn Court, where she convinces everyone to stay for the meeting and stands up for Cassian a bit against Baron's harsh words. This conference was a Prithian-wide meeting that Rassan called for all of the High Lords to start preparing for war against Highburn and gathering them as allies. It's at this conference where we learn that Nesta is somehow connected to the cauldron, when the cauldron is used, she's able to sense it like some sort of gut feeling and she winces in pain. Nesta's connection to the cauldron isn't all bad. When the inner circle is gathered with the troops in a war camp before the Battle of Highburn, Elaine is whisked away by the calling of the cauldron and is kidnapped. Nesta's connection with the cauldron, and perhaps what she took from it, grants her the ability to track Elaine down along with Highburn's war camp. This is done by scrying in which one uses divination to unlock hidden knowledge. Nesta gained this ability when she became High Fae, and this is what Amran has been helping her train. Nesta uses her scrying ability to successfully find Elaine, and Feyre and Azrael embark on a mission to get her back, Feyre shapeshifting herself into Ianthi. Shapeshifting being an ability she gained from Tamlin, I would say that that's probably the only good thing that she gained from Tamlin. <laughs> The pair are aided by Jurian, who's working against Highburn as a spy in their war camps, and surprisingly, Tamlin. Nessa's overjoyed when Elaine returns, all three of the sisters laying down and embracing each other as they once did when they were children in their tiny little cottage. 
Elaine was also granted a gift by the cauldron. She's a seer. Prior to the battle at the Winter Court, which prompted Elaine's kidnapping, Elaine was able to communicate with the cauldron, stating that while the cauldron granted the mortal queen's immortality, it stripped the queens of all her beauty and left her as an old, ugly hag. She did return to the mortal lands for a short amount of time, attempting to see Grayson again and have him take in human refugees after the wall fell. Rassand and the inner circle make an attempt to trick Grayson, having him believe that Elaine is still human by glamoring her so that she appears that way. This, however, did not work as Jurian already shared his knowledge with them about Elaine becoming a high fae. Grayson is not only upset about the fact that she's now high fae, but furious that she tried to lie to him. He puts an end to their engagement and demands his engagement ring back, and Elaine returns to Prithian, again feeling depressed and lost. When the big battle against Highburn finally arrives, Nesta and Elaine certainly play their part. Their army is overwhelmed, but they are quickly joined by the Autumn Court, Spring Court, Winter Court, an army of mortals led by Grayson and Jurian, and Criada, a hidden island ruled by Dracon and Miriam. But you know who else comes to help? Papa Archeron! He returns alongside Vasa with three ships, the Nesta, the Elaine, and the Feyre. How cute. The King of Highburn uses the power of the cauldron many times in this battle to overwhelm and kill a lot of their soldiers. It's soon recognized that if Prithian were to have any hope in victory, the power of the cauldron would have to be nullified. Nesta plots a distraction against the king while Feyre and Amran approach closer to the cauldron. Soon after the distraction is in place, Nesta's down after throwing herself on top of Cassian. Cassian tells her that if he has one regret in his life, it is that he wasn't allotted more time with her. When Nesta is down alongside Cassian and it seems it's over for the pair, Elaine comes up behind the King of Highburn and stabs him in the throat. Nesta follows through by beheading him, finally putting an end to the King of Highburn. Before they were able to kill him, however, Nesta watched as he killed their father, snapping his neck. The book ends after the three have a small memorial for their father and the inner circle begins negotiating a new treaty with the mortal realms and the rest of Prithian. The fourth book of the series is what people like to refer to as the Christmas special. While the rest of the series lies between 400 to 800 pages, A Court of Frost and Starlight comes in at a devastatingly whopping 200. Yeah, it's in the 200s. (laughs) I was so shocked when I bought this book. But despite this book being short and a lot of people skipping it, I think it's just as important as the rest of the books in this series, especially where character development is concerned. In this book, Elaine gets surprisingly a lot better and Nesta gets a lot worse. Let's start with Elaine. Elaine spends a lot of her time after the war with two servants, Nuala and Saradwin. The trio tend to bake a lot as this is Elaine's main hobby aside from gardening. With Lucian gone, moving into his own apartment in Valaris, she doesn't have much to worry about when it comes to that whole awkward situation. Instead, Elaine actually grows quite a bit closer to Asriel, which Rassan isn't exactly a huge fan of. Either way, Elaine's mental health greatly improves throughout the book, and we really don't hear a ton from her. Nesta, however, is a train wreck. After the war with Highburn and witnessing, you know, the murder of her father, 
Nesta's mental health hits the lowest of lows as she begins to dig herself deeper and deeper into the depression hole. She's moved into an apartment in what would be considered like the poorest part of Valaris, even though there's not really a poor part of Valaris. And she spends most of her time spending the High Lord's money at taverns each night. She's been distracting herself greatly from the inner circle, despite growing closer in the last book. Nesta also starts to lose control over the power that she took from the cauldron, becoming worse with wielding it and tries to abandon it altogether. She's unable to be around fire and she can't stand her fireplace in her apartment due to the fact that the cracking of the burning remains, it reminds her of the sound of the snapping of her father's neck. When Feyre tries to confront Nesta, she's quick to retaliate that they all have their own lives and she has hers. She repeatedly tells Feyre that she doesn't want to be a part of her little family. Despite that statement, Nesta continues to remain close with Amran, which gives Feyre a little bit of relief. Then again, it's only a little bit of relief. When Feyre visits her again at the Wolf's Den, her favorite tavern, to confront her on how much of the money she's been spending, Nesta notes that her rent is due soon. Feyre tells her that she only gets rent if she shows up at their solstice party. Solstice is essentially Prithian's Christmas, and it's spent with family, exchanging gifts and eating extravagant meals. It's also Feyre's birthday, which I find quite funny because I'm one of three sisters, and I've said that my oldest sister is Feyre, and she's also born on the winter solstice. Nesta, to everyone's surprise, does show up to this gathering. I can't really say that everyone was happy about it, though. She spends some of it looking to Elaine, who seems to be enjoying herself and has solidified a spot in the inner circle and Feyre's chosen family. This makes me kind of sad. Feyre's remarks before on how Nesta has a big heart, but she doesn't really know how to outwardly feel, and I feel like this is an example of that. Nesta doesn't actually want isolation, but that's how she's, unfortunately, coping. She doesn't feel that she deserves this companionship that her sisters have found, which is why she's been trying so hard at pushing everyone away. At the end of the solstice party, Cassian follows Nesta out and attempts to give her his present that he got her. Nesta, after being a huge uh, pain in the butt, declines, and Cassian frustratedly calls her unlovable. Ouch. Nesta tells him to go home, but that is the last that we see of her and Cassian throws his gift into the Cedra River. And now we are on to the fifth and most recent book, which is my favorite, Nessa's Redemption Arc, A Court of Silver Flames. It is also the spiciest book of the series, if anybody was wondering. After the events of the Winter Solstice, Nesta's quickly deteriorating, both inside and out. She's super skinny, always drunk, and has only become meaner as time goes on. She's also grown afraid of the dark power that's been growing inside of her since the war, causing her to further isolate herself. She gets anxiety over even taking a bath due to feeling like she's back in the cauldron. Six months after the solstice, Cassian heads to her apartment to let her know that her presence has been requested at the House of Wind. Despite isolating herself, she feels sad to see everyone's pictures filling the wall, hers being the only exception. She's also sad that the inner circle doesn't invite her anywhere anymore, including Amran. When she gets to her destination, she's met alongside Cassian with Rassand, Feyre, and Amran. Nesta's informed by Feyre that her recent behavior is unacceptable. You know, 
the drinking, spending all of Feyre and Rassan's money, taking a new Fey male home every night. Feyre gives Nesta an ultimatum. Either live in the House of Wind, spending half her days training with Cassian and the other half working in the library with the priestesses, or she will be cut off and dumped in the human lands. Not really having a choice, but fighting anyways, Nesta ends up deciding to take Feyre's offer. When spending her first few days in the House of Wind, Nesta learns that she can't access any liquor in the house. Despite the house being magical and essentially giving you anything you ask for, it has orders from the High Lord and Lady to resist her requests for alcohol. The only way for Nesta to get a drink is if she climbs down the 10,000 steps from the house and in return, a 10,000 steps to return back. Despite that, she still tries, getting winded soon after she starts. Her and Cassian start training at Windhaven, which is an Illyrian camp. Nesta refuses to train and wanders around the Illyrian camp, leaving Cassian to train on his own. Here, Nesta meets a shop owner named Emery. Emery is an Illyrian woman who had her wings cut off, a tradition that the misogynistic Illyrians follow to control their women. Nesta opens up a bit to Emery, despite not really understanding why. Later that day, she's tasked with shelving books at the library, and while doing so, she meets with one of the priestesses, Gwen. Much to Nesta's surprise, Gwen is not threatened or intimidated by her cold personality. When Nesta returns to the house, she realizes that the house is sentient. She makes an effort to kind of befriend it as she asks for romance books. She makes another effort at the stairs, this time tripping. When Nesta falls and digs her nails into one of the stairs, sparks are emitted and it leaves a burn mark on the stairs. During her meal with Cassian and Azrael the next day, Nesta and Cassian argue a bit about Nesta being bruised from falling down the stairs and her harsh treatment from the rest of the inner circle. When Nesta makes a remark about Rasan being a, uh, I'll say butthole, Cassian snaps at her and tells her that everyone hates her. Ouch again. And like such, it is 6.30, guys, which means the lights just turned off. I really had hope for today because they were on when I came in. So I was like, yay, they're not on a timer this time. Nope. <laughs> 6.30 <laughs> on the dot and I'm <laughs> in the dark. Anyways, as sort of an apology, Cassian starts training Nesta alone at the House of Winds, also realizing that training her away from the Illyrians and their misogynistic ways may make her feel more comfortable and willing to train, to which it does. The pair make a fey bargain that if she agrees to train with him for only an hour that day, Cassian will owe her whatever favor she wants, within reason, of course. Nesta agrees, and after the hour's done, it does seem that she may actually be enjoying herself, the pair bonding over training a little bit. I will say that this is the start of their romantic tensions building up a little bit as well. At the library that night, Nesta speaks to Gwen Moore, who's worried about being punished by her superior for giving her the wrong book. Nesta that night decides to ask the house for the correct volume and swaps it out from the incorrect one. Nesta's showing some empathy for someone else. What? Gwen shares with Nesta that Meryl, her superior, is doing research on the Valkyries an ancient species of women warriors who were killed in the first war against Tyburn. To much surprise, Nesta and Gwen agree to keep in touch. She's making a friend. Nesta shares her new friendship with Gwen to Cassian that night, much to his surprise. 
Here, Nesta and readers learn that a lot of the priestesses come from traumatic pasts, mainly involving males. Gwen's temple was ransacked and attacked by Hybern when they were searching for the cauldron. After some conversation, he asks her about her powers, having noticed the burn mark on the stairs. Nesta avoids answering, and Cassian shares that she's no longer human, but Faye through and through. He also shares that even as beautiful as she is Faye, he thought she was beautiful before as well. And the two almost kiss before Nesta leaves. The next day, Cassian teases Nesta over her romance books, which like, I've been there, Nesta. It's fine. Just ignore him. Cassian then tells her some of his past and the Illyrian rite and asks Nesta if she can see if any of the priestesses want to receive training as well. She puts a sign-up sheet in the library, but nobody signs up. Elaine shows up at the library that night and tries speaking to Nesta, but the pair start to argue. Cassian tries to confront her about it later, but Nesta just tries to avoid it. She runs down the stairs, making it to stair 1000 this time before having to climb back up. When she returns to the top, she finds Cassian waiting for her. They return to arguing about earlier, but it's soon cut off by them sharing a kiss. The next day, the pair meet with Feyre and some of the inner circle and speak of the three dread troves, which are being sought after by Queen Bryallen with the assistance of the High Lord of the Autumn Court. The three dread troves contain the mask, the harp, and the crown, which all hold great power. Rassand and Feyre wish to use Nesta's scrying to help locate them. At first, Nesta, like usual, was resistant, but after learning that Feyre's pregnant, she decides to help. Nessa and Cassian spend some more time together that night as Nessa continues to deny that her feelings for him are anything serious. Also, during the visit, Rassan remarks that he was able to sense the power that Nesta stole from the cauldron, and it is pure death. Nesta is often referred to as Lady Death. She returns to gain some information about the dread troves from Gwen, who remarks that there's not really a lot of information about them in the first place. She also convinces Gwen to start training with her in Cassian. Later on, Nessa returns to Emery's shop and defends her from her cousin who's trying to get Emery to sell the shop, and Nessa attempts to get her to come to training as well. Emery declines, but Nessa asks Cassian to convince her, and she ends up showing the next day anyways. Convince her in like a nice way, like he went up there and tried to encourage her. A lot of the remainder of the book is the trio training, deciding that they're going to start up a new group of Valkyries. Nesta grows extremely close with Gwen and Emery. She also grows extremely close with Cassian, and she aids him and Azriel in finding the Dread Trove. With all the powers that they possess, the Dread Troves are extremely dangerous to use, like literally deadly. It's barely known anyone who survived after using them. You know who can use them, though? Nesta. After finding the mask, Cassian and Asriel are found in a dangerous situation, almost close to death. Nesta is able to wield the mask without it taking control over her to raise an army of the dead and defend the pair. Cassian and Asriel are, like, way taken aback. Nesta is not only able to wield the mask, but the other two dread troves as well. The mask is able to raise the dead, and the crown is able to control the minds of others to aid the wielder's bidding. 
The harp is able to open portals to other realities and to change one's environment. Nessa uses all three during Feyre's labor, since having her baby was deadly to her since the baby has Illyrian wings and Feyre does not. Nesta actually ends up creating a fourth dread trove on accident, Ataraxia. Ataraxia is a magical sword that's able to kill true immortal creatures by trapping them in their physical form. This was entirely created from Nesta's power. Going back to her friendship with Emery and Gwen, the three new Valkyries are taken by the Illyrians and forced to participate in the Blood Rite. According to Akatar Wiki, let me find the stuff about the Blood Rite because it decided to close off of my laptop conveniently. Because as we know, I'm always having um, technical problems. But this is what the Blood Rite is. The Blood Rite happens each year in the early spring with hundreds entering the area of conifer forests and ravines around Ramiel in the Illyrian Mountains. The novice warriors have their wings bound and lack weapons, magic, or siphons. The only supplies that they have are clothes on their back. Novice, warriors from the same camp that are split up when they start. They have one week to reach Ramiel, scale it side by hands, and touch the onyx monolith at the top to pass. Where the warriors are when it ends sorts them into one of three Achaeleons of war, named after their holy stars. I'm going to butcher this. I'm so sorry. Arctosian, the ones who didn't make it to the mountain but survived. Oristian, the ones who make it to the mountain but don't reach the top. And then finally, Corinthian, the ones who scale the summit and are considered elite warriors. The area around Ramiel is closed to the rest of the year to prevent novices from scouting the area to give themselves an advantage. It's generally considered unacceptable by Illyrians for outside forces to interfere with the right. During this time, novices must survive exposure, the creatures of the mountains, and each other as they race against time. Many Illyrians who enter the right often kill each other for food, clothes, vengeance, or glory. Old feuds are played out, new ones born, and scores settled. Indeed, the blood right offered a release for the dangerous tension within the Illyrian community. It was better to settle it in the right than risk civil war. And all of that was from Akatar Wiki. Emery and Gwen make it to the Corinthian status amongst reaching the top, and Nesta becomes Oristian due to staying behind to guard her friends from the oncoming slot of warriors behind. At the end of the novel, after Favor's labor, Cassian asks Nesta about her power, which is gone. Nessa shares that she sparked a bargain with the cauldron in exchange for knowledge on how to save Feyre and her baby. Also, when she changed Feyre's body to be able to give birth to an Illyrian baby, she changed her own as well, you know, knowing that her and Cassian are mates now. I do want to talk a little bit about Nesta's breakdown. It's chapter 50 on, and it starts on page 502 out of 757. And this is really like, I think this is the big turn in Nesta's character development from being like a super annoying bad person to this. And essentially Nesta kind of freaks out on everybody and then she goes on this like hike and Cassian goes with her and Nesta says absolutely nothing for five days 
And then when she does say something, she literally is uncontrollably sobbing to Cassian. And this is where we learned that Nesta blames herself for a lot. She blames herself for her father's death. She blames herself for sending Favor out into the woods when she was a child to provide. She blames herself for not being able to save Elaine. I mean, she's got it all in. And that's really, you know, where where you learn more about Nesta and her internal. And I think that's why Silver Flames is my favorite book in the series because when you're not in Nesta's head, you don't understand what's going on in Nesta's head. Like, you don't understand. You're like, why is she the way that she is? Like, she's cold. She's mean. I'm not saying that, you know, she's validated for being as mean as she was, but I understand why she's as mean as she was. And I feel like this is why this is my favorite book because Sarah J. Mass does such a good job at writing Nesta's character in this novel and explaining why she is the way that she is. And it's something where if you've never been in that mindset, you might not understand Nesta, which is why I get why a lot of people hate her. But like I said, I have my Nesta soapbox. I'm a Nesta defender until I die. But Nesta's for the people, you know, who they blame themselves. They've been in that period of time of having low self-esteem and not feeling like they deserve the relationships that they have and not feeling good enough. And that's why, you know, she, she's important to me. I feel like I am Nesta. Like you see her journey of healing. And I feel like with a lot of main characters, they're perfect. I mean, Feyre's not perfect, but Feyre's kind of close to perfect. And Feyre's, her battle is very external. She, wants to beat Amrantha and save Prithian and she wants to, you know, kill the King of Highburn. But Nesta's entire battle is internal. Nesta's fighting herself. And it's arguably a lot harder to save yourself from yourself than it is to save yourself from someone else. And Sarah J. Mass, you know, did a really good job at writing for someone who's fighting the battles that are in between their ears and not on the outside world. So I'm I can't wait to get a book about Elaine, too, because Elaine is kind of Elaine's kind of a pushover. I love Elaine, but she is, you know, she let her sister's baby hear her all those years and she's just quiet and we don't know that much about her. Like, we know a ton about Feyre. Now we know about Nesta, but we don't know a ton about Elaine, which is why I didn't talk about Elaine a ton in this episode either, because she's not in the books a lot. I mean, especially in (laughs) A Court of Silver, or not A Court of Silver Flames. I mean, she really isn't in A Court of Silver Flames, but A Court of Frost and Starlight is really the last thing that we get from Elaine, where she's growing closer to Asriel, who we don't know a lot about Asriel too. And if you're, you know, part of, book talk at all you know that there's the whole thing where it's like oh who's Elaine gonna end up with is she gonna end up with Lucian her mate or is she gonna end up with Asriel because we don't know a ton about either of those characters maybe we'll find out in the third crescent city which I will say so many people are like when is when is Akatar six when is the next Akatar book she's releasing crescent city and but she doesn't talk about Akatar at all read crescent city read crescent city they're two books. They're like 900 pages at most, which I know that's a lot. But like, if you can read all five books of Akatar, I'm pretty sure all of those pages add up to more than what two books of Crescent City are. So read 
Crescent City before you complain about there not being another Akatar book because Crescent City 3 kind of, I think, might be essentially a third Akatar book. But yeah, I'm glad I got to hop on my Nesta soapbox. Um, I'm, I just, I love Nesta, guys. I really do. And if you, I, I did have to cut over a lot of parts of A Court of Silver Flames because that book is 800 pages long and I cannot talk about it in an hour. That's not, that's not going to happen. It took me like four episodes to cover the first Akatar, and that was 400 pages. So I definitely, you know, can't talk about all of Silver Flames and all of Nesta's character development, but I would highly suggest reading it. I, if you don't want to read it and you want to know more about Nesta, maybe just read a uh, like a summary or an analysis or something because it's worth it. Like I love a, a Court of Silver Flames. And if you're somebody who struggled with your mental health and, you know, self-love and you, you're quick to blame yourself, you know, you got all those, uh, what are they? Cognitive distortions. See, my psych class is coming in to help me. The, Nessa, you know, she's a character that you can relate to. And Sarah J. Mass also does a really good job at writing these characters. I mean, you have Nesta, Aelin, I feel like is really good with, you know, figuring out who you are and what you're meant to do. Bryce Quinlan, I love Bryce Quinlan. Read Crescent City, okay? But Nesta, my all-time favorite character, period, out of any book. I love Nesta. Don't track shock Nesta to me, okay? Meet me outside. But yeah, that's all I got for today. Really happy I got to get on my soapbox. Um, I Next week, my plan is to talk about my favorite book series that took over my childhood, The Hunger Games. Because if you don't know, the prequel, A Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, the movie's coming out this month. I think it's the 13th or the 17th. It might be the 17th, but that's what I'll be talking about next week. Talking about Katniss Everdeen and Finnick O'Dare, who was my first love. But yeah, happy I got to talk more about Akatar. I promise I won't talk about Akatar for a while now. Okay. But I will meet you back with the Hunger Games and then I'll probably pre-record for Thanksgiving because Monco will be closed that Wednesday. And as you know, I can't really come here if we're closed, but I'll keep you posted if I do end up recording or if I just take Thanksgiving to myself because it is a holiday and I got stuff to prepare. I'm on pie duty each year. Okay. I got to make my pretty little cherry pie with my little weave crust, my nice little crispy butter crust. I'm hungry guys. I like, I'm always starving after this because I eat dinner when I get home, but yeah, I will see you next week to talk about the Hunger Games and my first love, Finnick O'Dare. And, you know, of course, Katniss, the girl boss. But yeah, thank you so much for listening. So glad you got to be here to listen to me talk about Nesta and, you know, Elaine and Feyre, but Nesta. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I will see you all next week. Bye-bye.